Would you rather have 100 single-family rental houses or a 100-unit apartment complex? Most investors would probably pick the 100-unit apartment complex, but today's guest picked the 100 houses. Coming up next on the Student of Money podcast. Welcome to the Student of Money podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Niemeyer. The mission of Student of Money is to connect listeners like you to a community of like-minded individuals to help you achieve your goal of financial freedom through entrepreneurship, investing, real estate, and personal development. This is episode 39. Today, I've got an awesome guest that I first met back in 2012 at a real estate syndication event in Scottsdale, Arizona. He's now the CEO of Become Investment Group, and he and his investors own a $30 million portfolio of single-family houses across six different states. Sepicom has become a recognized expert on low-income housing investments and has been featured several times on the Real Estate Guys radio show, the Real Estate Expresso podcast, and now I have him right here on the Student of Money. So let's get started. Seth Pakam, welcome to the program. Hey, Jeff. Great to be here. Hey, yeah. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate you giving us some time here. Uh, I think you've got a really interesting story. Uh, we met way back in 2012 at a syndication event, some training. And, uh, you know, we were both kind of just getting started at the time. And it's been a few years since then. And, um, you know, why don't, for the, for the listeners that are listening in, why don't you give us a little bit about your background? Sure. So um, my background is as an electrical engineer. I live in Orange County, California, and I, I didn't have a whole lot of, I, I didn't have any formal like entrepreneurial training or investor training. My, my first uh, endeavor in business was a failed one. Unfortunately, it was a lemonade stand that I had started with my brother when we were kids. And we got a taste of, uh, you know, offering a product to the market that the market doesn't need. So got that feedback pretty quickly. <laughs> I, I, I burned CDs in high school, like back when Napster first came out and I was, I was charging, I think like five or 10 bucks per CD and it took me hours to do it. And I realized that, you know, the, the amount of time I'm spending on this, if I got minimum wage job, I mean, <laughs> we're earning more money on it. It wasn't my path to financial freedom. So from there, I went into engineering and, uh, Loved engineering, hated the engineering work environment. I, I didn't like the whole rat race, trading time for money, uh, especially during like a recession when other employees, like they might have kids, they might have families, and they kind of have more of that scarcity mindset. Like not everyone thinks like us in terms of win-win. And I've, I've noticed entrepreneurs, that's that's a common thread. Um, they don't they don't see a lot of the entrepreneurs I know, they don't see their the competitors necessarily as competitors, right? They're like, hey, that's making us better. In the employee environment, with that scarcity, if you hear of layoffs and all that, uh, there, there's not as much cooperation, and it's just uh, you know you you see some of the workplace drama in some of the companies. So I, I wasn't interested in any of that, and um, I, I don't see myself staying there for 40 years. But I didn't have a choice. I was like, this is all I know is engineering, and I just got to go and get my master's degree and just keep trading time for money. And then just out of out of luck or or I don't know if it was fate. A friend of mine had noticed I was burnt out because I was working a 40 hour job. I was commuting about two to three hours a day in traffic from OC to LA. 
And I was going for my master's and my friend had asked me, he's like, why are you doing this? It's like, this doesn't look like this is what you're really passionate or excited about. I was like, I want more money. Like I'm, I had to move back in with my parents. I, I had to cross goals off of my list because I couldn't afford to do the things I thought I could do having a, a college degree. It's like, I, I could barely even support my, my living expenses. And she's like, uh, well, what is your ultimate goal? I was like, I just want to make more money. And, and I repeated myself and she's like, well, the problem with that goal is it's a moving target. And she, she helped me understand that I didn't understand what inflation was. I thought if I could just make whatever it be a hundred grand a year, 150 grand a year, then life will be set. And she told me to take out a dollar bill out of my pocket and look at the top. And she's like, read, the, read what it says on the top of the dollar bill. I said, federal reserve note. Like, well, what does that mean? And she's like, well, you tell me what it means. I'm like, it's, you know, they're, they're the bank and they control the money and every $100 bill, $50 bill has Federal Reserve note on there. She's like, well, did you know the Federal Reserve is not Federal or Reserve Bank? And that was like the moment from the matrix where Morpheus presents Neo with the red pill and the blue pill. Um, that, that changed everything because then I realized that, well, it wasn't right then that I realized it. I, I realized something's wrong. Like, maybe my government is lying to me. Like maybe th these dollar bills that, um, that I'm, you know, a lot of people like spend a lot of time and effort chasing after and people will even steal for that. And unfortunately, I mean, people even kill for that, right? Like obsessive over money. Like it's, it, it doesn't hold the same purchasing power as it does before. So she recommended a book by Robert Kiyosaki called Conspiracy of the Rich. And uh, that, that was the one that really changed things for me. That book helped me understand that, uh, you know, inflation happens to me, it happens to my friends, it happens to my family. And if the only thing we do is we get a job and hope that our boss gives us a raise, then we're going to be losing our purchasing power over time. So the solution is to hedge against inflation by investing in real assets, investing in businesses, um, and investing in commodities that will preserve their purchasing power over time. So that that's what really got me into the, uh, got, got me the real estate bug. You brought up two points there that I just kind of want to touch on. One was scarcity. I totally agree with you. You know, if, if, if you're chasing the dollar and you think it's scarce, it's, you know, it's going to be, uh, my experience, I'm an engineer as well, but I went into the consulting side of the business and the, the first company that I did consulting for, or I worked for, uh, the owner was a high energy sales guy. And, as an entrepreneur that I didn't know at the time, but watching him was fun because one thing that he really showed us and taught us is that uh, he basically was like, there's money everywhere behind every bush. And, and we would go out and do meetings with him. And he kept talking about how, you know, there's an opportunity, there's money because he was a real entrepreneur that started this business from scratch. And it was kind of fun watching this guy who's the president of our company, the way he talked about it, where it wasn't scarce. And then, like you said, Robert Kiyosaki talks about print your own money, but do it legally, right? Either building a business or buying the real estate is you're creating your own wealth out of basically nothing. And you know that's something that I haven't had a guest talk about, but you're exactly right. You know, that whole scarcity mindset and that whole, you know, being able to create your own money out of nothing by basically starting on your own. I knew that I could never be the president of a company until I started my own company because I wasn't going to go through the corporate ladder 
um, as, as where there was just so many people in front of me and ahead of me that it was never going to happen. So, you know, that's, right. that, that's awesome. And, and so then you kind of, you, you know, I met you at a training event. What got you into going to uh, training? So I kind of want to talk about your mentors and the people that you follow and, and how you got, how you get into like the masterminds. Well, yeah, so uh, none of the ideas that I have are original, so I have to give credit where credit is due. Um, I, I was never really into personal development or reading leisurely before I read that book, Conspiracy of the Rich. Any of the books I read before that were just college textbooks, and even then, I, I can't remember any of the textbooks where I'd actually read page one to the end. I'd just read what I needed to learn for getting by the exam. Uh, I wasn't into audiobooks at the time either, but uh, when I read that book, I just became addicted to learning more because even today, I'm still a student, right? I'm still a student of money. <laughs> and I've noticed that it's funny, you you, you know, and I, I, I was more, um, th th there's, there's a good saying by Peter Schiff. He says, uh, good politics equals bad economics and uh, good economics equals bad politics. So earlier on, I thought government could just solve all the problems. And I was, I was a little bit, uh, I was very um, envious of like, you know, entrepreneurs and business owners. Like I went through all this engineering training and I'm, you know, barely getting by um, paycheck to paycheck and having a hard time just saving up for down payments. And you have these, these entrepreneurs making all the money. And um, every time I'd, I'd ask an entrepreneur, you know, I, I, I was just curious, like, um, like curious, like a cat, like, Hey, um, what did you learn? Like, wh what's a book that you could recommend? Like, and more often than not, they would share it. I can't think of any, any entrepreneur, any uh, business owner or investor who wouldn't be, who wouldn't share it. And even to this day, I have a notepad in my phone of, uh, all the books and audiobooks that people recommend and in parentheses, I put down their name. So if it's someone who, like, let's say they started a family office or they they accomplish what I want to accomplish, they're very high on the list. If it's someone who maybe they're just getting started out, uh, but they they speak really highly of it, I'll, I'll add them to the bit to the list. But if it's someone who is just just you know throwing in ideas and they they don't they don't walk the walk, uh, they just talk the talk, that goes on the bottom of the list, right? So um, from there, just reading and then um, you know getting around the real estate guys. Um, started out listening to Jason Hartman, um, attended uh, David Lindahl's multifamily training as well, just whatever I could to get around other successful investors like yourself. And the masterminds were really helpful too. Um, earlier on, I, I put more emphasis on saving up for down payment so I can just buy one property per year. And I realized that the timeframes collapsed much faster the more time I spent around other successful investors who were already out of the rat race or who were already very good at raising capital, who are already really good at solving problems in the marketplace, because those ideas rub off on you. Um, and um, I mean, frankly, I, I never thought that I would be spending as much money as I do today on masterminds and coaching and um, traveling, right? Like, I mean, you're, you're multiple states away from me. There's no way I would have met you just on the internet or just by by chance, right? Like I had to pay to, to get around uh, people like you and other investors as well. So that those relationships, those ideas, that that knowledge, that coaching, the masterminds, it's priceless. I, I definitely put that as as the the best investment I've ever made. And, and I, we've had some slam dunk deals on the real estate as well. But that the those are all better. Yeah, you either have to you have to work your way in, or you have to pay your way in to get around those people. So if you don't have money, then you have to do a grassroots effort. Go to the monthly local real estate meetings, you know, absorb all the content on YouTube and online, which 
frankly, we didn't have back in the 2000s, early 2000s when we were starting, we didn't have all of the available content and we didn't have the YouTubes and, and on all of this content that's out there. And it's really awesome. So people are way ahead, I think, if they really just want to do it. But the other way then too is, is again, uh, pay to get in the room with people like yourself that are successful. And because it, it's, it's a slow process. I, I made this argument last month at our local real estate meeting is that uh, amateurs do it on their own and professionals hire coaches. So even Tiger Woods has a coach and he's probably one of the best golfers in the world. And yet he still hires a coach to help him improve his golf game. And, right. and I, it, so, but I know money's tight and people are constantly asking me, how do you get started? You know, how do you buy your first deal with no money? How do you do all of these things? And um, it, it, it's, it's, an, it's an ongoing question and, and there's ways around it. But the first thing to do is, like you said, invest in yourself, get the knowledge, hang out with the right people, change your mindset and become a student. And then once you become a student, you're going to start to see opportunities that you normally wouldn't see. Very, very much agree with that. Let, let's kind of let's kind of go into you know you're a little different in the fact that you focus on single families versus apartment complex, and you have a story about why that is. If you could please share that. Well, early on, so the the next the first real estate book I read after reading *Conspiracy of the Rich* was Ken McElroy's book *ABCs of Real Estate Investing*. And then from there was Creature from Jekyll Island by Geo Griffin that that really um, kind of lifted the veil on the Federal Reserve, uh, why it was created, what it does, and uh, what it's likely going to do to me and, and others in terms of our purchasing power. Uh, and that's important because purchasing power isn't just like to go buy a nice car. Purchasing power is to put food on the table. It's to cover your insurance. It's to cover your your rent. It's to cover your electricity, your utility bills, right? Um, and you know that that inflation it, that was the motivator to to go on. And um, after that, I, I had read uh, Equity Happens by the Real Estate Guys, and like kind of looking at all this information, I was like, hey, it looks like there's going to be a dire need for affordable housing. Because uh, even when I was an engineer, I never got a raise. Each company I was working at, it, this is in the early 2000s, so right after the great financial crisis. And during the great financial crisis, uh, I often heard that, hey, we're, we're not, we have a, a moratorium on, on, on raises within the company. We're not giving any raises to anyone, not even the CEO or the C-suite. Um, we are on just trying to survive through this crisis. And... Um, you know they they have to do what they got to do to survive. I'm not entitled to a raise, right? Like the company is going to give the employee a raise if the employee delivers value. So um, I I saw firsthand what it's like to actually have my purchasing power decrease. So I I saw that there's a need for affordable housing, and I thought apartments would be the fastest and easiest way to do that. Um, and easy is an important word in there. So first deal, uh, yeah, got, I got into the real estate investing books and the podcasts and the seminars and all that, and um. 2009-2010, uh, I pulled the trigger in 2010 and in 2010 bought some fourplexes on my own. Then uh, first deal I syndicated was a six-unit apartment complex, and then a 52-unit apartment complex, and uh, it was a nightmare because uh, I like the first couple of deals I didn't realize I was a, I was buying in affordable housing neighborhoods, but it wasn't until afterwards when I had to change a property manager and the property manager is like, uh, "Sep, yeah, you're you're invested in the hood." <laughs> 
And you hear a lot of the gurus say, don't invest in D-class housing, don't invest in areas where you need a bulletproof vest and all that stuff. But that is useless if you already have a problem and you've already purchased the title, basically, right? Like, I, I, that, that's not, I don't need to hear, yeah. like, don't buy over there. I need to hear, how do I survive? <laughs> yeah, it's too, it's too late at that point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, just, yeah, I mean, the, the one of the biggest helps, again, back to the masterminds, getting around other uh, multifamily investors who, who are really good at it. So fast forward, I'd, I'd gone through um, gone through about 16 property managers, that's property management companies, district managers. I've been fired by two property management companies. And it's, it's a learning experience because, um, you know, affordable housing is not as easy to manage as housing in Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills, the property manager may never even hear from that tenant in whatever it is that they're managing, an Airbnb or some you know uh, expensive multi-million dollar home to a tenant, right? Affordable housing, it's a lot more touch points. Like there's a lot more things that can go wrong. It's older housing, but um, I you know just over time, um, you know when when the 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 solution to it was to, we got to make the the affordable housing uh, more resilient. So. When I was able to to solve those problems with the apartments, and it took off years of my later life, just because you know, it, it, like with an apartment complex, the bank is not going to give a loan if you have a couple down units on there, right? Like they want to see they want to see the economic occupancy and the physical occupancy better than eighty percent or greater than ninety percent. So if you have a fire in one unit, or if you have um, you know, some type of issue, like, you know, you had, there was one property where we had a drive-by shooting, we had a shooting and, um, you know, there was a lot of vacancies, but the property looked great and they were getting leased up, but the bank was like, no, we need to see six months of stabilization on there. Right. You know, if that, if that apartment complex was 50 houses, then we have 50 different exit strategies. Like you could have house number 35, be refinanced at the same time a house number 12 is being sold or maybe houses number 10 through 20 are being sold as a package or refinanced as a package like i i liked having more options and um even before uh, i got into single family so I'll, I'll go back a little bit more uh back to what we were talking about as far as the you, you know the investors you talk to who are getting started one thing i would highly recommend is playing the cash flow game by robert kiyosaki um, yeah, you know, I'm sure in like any city where anyone is watching this all across the world, there's some type of cash flow meetup within 50 miles. And that, that was a game changer. First cash flow game I went to, actually the second cash flow game I went to, I invited a couple of my buddies. I was all multifamily mindset. My buddies were a single family. So we kind of started at the same time. Actually, they had, they had more experience before me, but, um, as far as investing out of state, we were going on different paths and, you know, we masterminded together um, and they were having phenomenal success with these single families, just buying these $30,000 houses in Atlanta, uh, putting 15K in rehab and flipping them for 70K. And then they started holding them and they they told me about these conferences about the hedge funds that were buying up the single families. Well, the hedge funds would, would go to these conferences and share their ideas and you'd have lenders that would go there. You would have property managers go there. You'd have all the vendors that would service all those companies. So not only are they servicing the big boys, but they're also you know providing it for the mom and pops as well. So um, when I was having the problems with uh, multifamily, I realized my passion is on the affordable, not on any particular asset class. And I just realized for what what we do, the single family makes it easier to go and reposition those those problems because you know the 
the, the, the more dilemma I had with the apartment complex is our incentive is to go in and buy the property and make it as expensive as possible. Like I've never seen a business plan where the syndicator isn't talking about, oh, you know, rents are below market. We're going to make it above market. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if, if that's what the market wants and if that's what the tenants are willing to pay for, laissez-faire, right? I'm not suggesting there be any regulation for it. But with single family, you could put a 30-year mortgage on there and you don't have to milk a tenant dry. Like you, 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 can ha- you can profit off of it. Your investors can profit off of it and it can still be affordable for the tenant. And instead of trying to, you know, milk the, the, the tenant for more and more, um, you know, of those rent increases just to make a profit, you can go on to the next one. We still do rent increases because maintenance still goes up, taxes still go up, insurance still goes up. But um, when the appraiser comes in and does the appraisal, they don't care if it's rented for 800 or 1100 on, you know, two identical houses. So in a yeah. nutshell. Yeah, we, we, I actually just had that talk. So last week's uh, guest was apartment buildings and we were talking about the difference between a house and apartment. We're specifically talking about the appraisals, how an appraisal for a house is going to be more of a comp sales in the neighborhood where in the apartment complex, it's strictly just income minus expenses, net operating agreement. So just like you said, you know, that's a very interesting point. There's the pluses and minuses on both sides. And since you're really looking at affordable housing, you can add more value on the houses and just hold it long term. You're not looking, like you said, to just keep raising the rents on an apartment buildings to try to increase that that forced equity. So that, that's a good point. Uh, the other thing that I love about you is you really live you know, that Robert Helms quote, live where you want to and invest where the numbers make sense. Because you're in Missouri, you're in Kansas City, which is getting close to my neck of the woods, Virginia, Arizona, Texas, Florida. So you're basically buying a portfolio of single family homes. And I see it, I've seen it where, you know, an investor that's maybe have 10 or 12 houses or 30, 40, whatever it may be, they maybe retire, they just want to liquidate and you'll see them on the market Well, they'll have a whole block of homes for sale. So, you know, let's talk about that where, you know, you live in Southern California, but you're investing all across the United States. Yeah. Um, well, and it's funny, there's, there's a lot of gaslighting by the multifamily gurus and now I'm not saying all of them do that, but they always have this fallacy of saying, oh, you know, you, why would you want to have one house when you can have a hundred unit apartment complex instead of comparing apples to apples, you can buy a hundred houses and you can compare that to an apartment complex. Um, again, the solution to the affordable housing crisis, we need more multifamily. We need more mobile home parks. We need more single families. Um, you know, if, if all the developers just built single family, um, that would be detrimental because it's more expensive to build you know, whatever houses cost nowadays. I think like a three, two, maybe it's somewhere between like $250,000 per door versus an apartment. You could probably build that still for like 125,000, 120,000, right? So you can build two apartments for the price of a house. But, you know, from, from the syndication standpoint, just a lot of misinformation out there. So, um, as far as those portfolios, that that was really um, I, I made the mistake early on of like chasing portfolios into a market. Like I didn't I didn't analyze the market first, and then be like, okay, these are the fundamentals. I, I was like, if I if I saw a good deal, I'd jump into the market and try to justify the market afterwards. But um, there were some things I I knew um, about the market. So I'm in California, and it's a very anti business climate, very anti landlord. Um, and I knew as long as I stay out of California and New York, anywhere else in between, you know, the flyover states, 
there it's it's going to be easier it's going to be easier to get uh, bad tenants out through evictions it's going to be easier to do the repositionings um and as long as there's jobs and it's it's more of a, a free market if you will it should be easier than doing it in my local backyard uh so uh yeah i got into phoenix then san antonio kansas city jacksonville florida richmond virginia and um you know today so 2023 when we're recording this podcast like i have i have some friends that are losing money on flips in california At the same time i have friends that are making money on flips in california but in those markets i mentioned um you know kansas city jacksonville and richmond those have been overall pretty resilient and some of those markets we're seeing like the appraisals even be higher than uh today than when the interest rates were lower but that doesn't mean that anything is guaranteed um you know it, there's there's a lot of volatility in it um and and i think the the more important thing is it's not just the market it's not just the deal but it's also the team so um the the other thing that i've learned as far as like with the trainings and all that is that uh it's better and this is a jason hartman quote uh he had said it's better to be in a b market with an a team than be in an a market with a b team and, and i learned that firsthand because i've had good deals where i've bought turnkey and I've had the the wrong team on board, and they've turned good deals into bad deals pretty quickly because you have the, you know deferred maintenance, you have bad tenants, you can they can ruin an asset uh, and and definitely deviate from pro forma. So having a good team, having a good market, um, that that's definitely been um, definitely been critical. And now we're at the point. If we can buy portfolios, we'll buy them. But it's not as easy as it was a couple of years back. I think the sellers have realized that you know they're the the pretty bar, uh, the pretty girl at the bar. So they're getting, you know, hit up left and right by brokers, by wholesalers, and all that. So uh, we'll still buy portfolios, but uh, more often than not, we're just buying individual houses per week. I don't go actually see those houses. I have my team that goes in and, and inspects it. They take detailed pictures before, during, and after the repositioning. So like we could use technology and you know have our systems in place so that it doesn't require you know the investor or or you know myself to have to go and um, and micromanage the whole process. So one of the questions I usually ask a guest, and I think we've already asked it, but I'll ask the question and saying that's basically already been answered is: Would you rather have 100 houses or a 100 unit apartment complex? And you know, you, I think we've answered that question already. And and you're totally right. Most other people would say, "I want a 100 unit apartment complex." And I'm kind of with you. I, I have a mixed portfolio. I have apartment buildings and I have single family houses, and they're definitely different. And people would prefer to live in a house. Uh, so they have a yard and it's quieter and and maybe they have pets or whatever it is. So I just charge a premium for those. And and right now I've got my hot button is trying to do development with these high interest rates and things of that sort. You know, so I'm looking at a lot of townhomes and zero lot line townhomes, which is kind of like I can still get some density like an apartment building or a condominium. But yet it's still private entry. It's still they just have that one unit. Uh, but, and then they don't have as much yard because, uh, uh, sometimes the single family homes, you got to make sure they take care of the yard, the snow is removed here in Iowa and all that fun stuff. So I, I agree. It's the houses, in my opinion, in my portfolio have been just as profitable, if not easier, they're way easier than an apartment building, um, in, in my opinion. So I, I, I like to have a little bit of both. I like to have houses. So. Uh, I love storage units too, because storage units are absolutely, they just cash flow every month. So, right. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that mixed portfolio, but 
And, and and like you said, it really comes down to the team. So like in Kansas City and in Texas and these other locations, you have to partner with a good property manager. And then, you know, the conversation then goes, you know, there's the asset manager and then there's the property manager, property manager. And sometimes the owners and the asset managers don't necessarily see eye to eye. And like I said, if you get into a bad property, you can't change the location of, of a bad apartment building. So if it's a class C or a class D or whatever it may be. And, and you can't pull an apartment building out of the ghetto, you know. So you, real estate really is a, a local where you have to take a look at the area and really start there and see if there's an opportunity. So I, I always tell people, I always tell people that they got to shop the area. Just go drive neighborhoods. That's how you get started. Just go drive neighborhoods and start looking at apartment buildings, um, and and that's how you get started. Yeah, definitely agree. And, 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 you know, the, the good thing out of just getting started is even if you don't buy the deal, uh, and, and I'm not saying you should do this, and I did suggest doing this earlier on, and Ken McElroy had, had corrected me uh, wisely. Earlier on, um, like at the Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar, Robert Helms had brought me up on stage and uh, just talked about, he wanted me to talk about how I got started. And I said, yeah, I would get deals on a contract knowing I wouldn't close, and then I go take pictures and videos, and I'd share that with my investors afterwards. And then Ken and McRoy came up on stage afterwards. He's like, you know, one of the syndicators that spoke right before me talked about the strategy. And I will tell you, if you do that, that is a great way to burn bridges with every broker in your market. Because he asked, like, how many reputations do you have? And I didn't realize the importance of that, but he was he was absolutely right. Like, um, when when we tell a wholesaler we close, we close. When you know, when we um, when we're gonna go and actually do it, it, we you know we want to have our due diligence period. So it's not like if there's if there's mold and um you know the house is like dilapidated and it's going to collapse that we're still going to buy it but as long as it passes the muster we're, we'll still go forward and, and and inspect it um you know but even even just looking at the houses and just you know boots to the ground i mean the, the only thing that comes out of that is just more education yeah you're educating yourself you're educating yourself on that market your education educating yourself on the whole process and and that's why I like when I get into an area, I try to get as many properties in that area because now I've spent all this time educating myself on it. So, you know, that's my unfair advantage is I'm looking for, I, I want to know everything about that market. So I don't buy houses, you know, all different areas across town. I will focus in on one particular area and then just try to buy up everything on that one street because I know that area and I know that street. Uh, and sometimes like I just bought a house. It's been six years. I've been trying to buy this house and I used to manage the house because I had it under contract uh, with the seller and uh, he ended up, he couldn't wait on me any longer. So he sold it to another guy. Well, that thing came back up on the market and uh, I didn't even have to look at it because it's a neighboring property. I know the tenant, I used to be a tenant of mine. So I put in an, <laughs> I put in an offer sight unseen, by the way, the seller wasn't allowing anybody to take a look at the house anyway until they had an you accepted had an until he had an accepted offer. So I ended up buying that house for about twenty thousand dollars under appraisal value, and nice. and it was just you know I was just funny because I've been trying I've been looking at this house forever and I've been trying to get it. it. Took me six years, but I finally got it. And there's a lot of properties like that. There's a lot of neighboring properties and things of that that I've been working, 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 and eventually they'll pop. So, you know, you kind of, it's, I use that popcorn analogy. You throw the whole bag of popcorn in and you see what kernels pop. 
You don't, right. you don't, if you don't put it in one kernel at a time, put it in, see if it pops, put it in, see if it pops. What you do is you pour the, <laughs> you pour the whole bag in there and then you eat the ones that pop and you throw out the ones that don't pop. Right. So Great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what you have to do is you have to immerse yourself in this. You have to know the market. So, you know, again, in order for me to invest in somewhere like Texas, I would have to have a team down there. I'd have to feel comfortable about it. I would have to understand that they know the market. You know, I'd have to partner with somebody or have a good property manager that I know, like, and trust. Um, whereas in my eastern Iowa market, I know everything about this market. And uh, so, you know, when you start getting into Kansas City and Omaha and, and Des Moines, then you're kind of in my, in my neck of the woods. So... You know, um, it's just, yeah, yeah. You got to find, you got to find what your unfair advantage is. And, and for you, it's those single family houses in those nice markets. And, you know, you're, you're not the first person to say, yeah, I live in California, but I really don't invest in California. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't invest in California, but I love to visit. So (laughs) (laughs) anyway, um, yeah, so we kind of, we've covered quite a bit. So you know, you obviously you got into syndications and that's where you're able to start doing some some bigger deals and moving mm-hmm. past the friends and family network. Uh, maybe we've got we've probably got about five minutes. Can we just maybe talk about how, how do you progress from, you know, uh, if you, you probably have seen the uh, visionary pyramid uh, from the Bigger Pockets guy, uh, Brandon Turner talks about starting out as a DIYer and then you get into management and you become the COO and then eventually you want to become just the visionary. So you're not doing all the work. You know, if you want to go big and you want to go full time, uh, how do you make that leap from just doing it yourself, using your money, using your friends and family's money to, uh, you know, going out there and trying to do the bigger deals? Well, I, I think it's two part. One is, and that, that's still something I'm struggling with. So it's not something I've mastered entirely uh, as far as the visionary. I, I have to wear the visual, visionary hat on a daily basis, navigating higher interest rates, navigating, um, you know, letting go of a contractor, navigating, um, going into a new market, whatever it be. But um at the same time, you know, we still have to keep the operations going. And I've, I've learned that uh, the faster that you can automate your operations, the better, um, you know, unless you have, unless you're at scale on, on the property management side of it, where, you know, you can support having an in-house staff. I, I, I highly recommend getting um, a property manager. Um, Ken McElroy said, you know, it's a thankless job because if a property manager does a bad job and the owner's not happy with them, they get fired. But then if the property manager does a good job and the owner is happy with them, they sell the property and the property manager still gets fired. Right. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, they, <laughs> the amount of you know time, like dealing with tenants and headaches and toilets and all stuff, it's just the faster you get off the plate, um, the more time you'll have to be able to talk to investors, to attend the seminars and to, um, to hone in on, on the syndication business. But one thing I think would really help out on, on making that jump too is I think also understanding uh, you know what is the 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 greater mission right like why what is the reason why you were put onto the planet and I, I that could lead to a lot of clarity like I don't think everyone should get into affordable housing this is the same reason I don't think everyone should get into luxury housing or Airbnb it's like is that what you're passionate about is is that what you're willing to put in the the long hours you know are you're just doing it for the money or are you just doing it because you know, it's, it's something there's, it's close and dear to your heart and there's a lot of money involved like that, that would be ideal. Um, so, um, you know, there's, there's a goals retreat that I attend every year with the real estate guys. Um, that's been a big help as far as like understanding what do I need to get off of my plate 
and what do I need to um, what do I need to bring in? Like, how do I refinance my time? Um, what is the additional support staff that I need to bring in? What am I doing that is not serving my greater goal? Because we could we could be busy and just getting into the busyness, but that's not necessarily getting us to the next level, right? Um, just doing the same thing is going to get us the same results. So um, I think goal setting and getting involved in masterminds, you know, getting getting involved with um, you know real estate coaches, whatever it be, who who are already there, who are playing at that level, is, is probably the best way as far as uh, being able to go from DIY to um, to visionary. In between, you had mentioned syndication as well. Um, you know, there's plenty of investors who who are doing real estate investing on their with their own capital. And they're 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 fine with that. More power to them. But uh, there's other investors like me who didn't have like a big chunk of money to start off with. That we needed the um, the syndication capital. And even to this day, right? Like um, I I don't necessarily have to bring investors into the deals. Like I could just roll over my my own money and and do it that way. But um, I'd rather personally have you know I'd rather have fifteen thousand houses, the, the ultimate goal, and own a small portion of that than have you know, a thousand houses and own a hundred percent of it. Not a right or wrong, but uh, that allows us to go and reposition more air, more neighborhoods. We can provide more affordable housing, can make a lot more investors more money. It's like we're doing greater good uh, and making a lot more money, I think. So if if that's something that the investors are passionate about, then, you know, then maybe syndication and, and not, not that specific example, but as far as like, you know, it could be an office, it could be in multifamily or mobile home parks, you know, it's like, do you want to have a, a, a bigger portfolio and, um, and make more money on, on that and own a smaller percentage, or do you just want to have it all on your own? And, uh, right. most of the successful investors I know, they, um, they have some type of partnership and, you know, syndicate in some capacity. Right, right. You, you got to You kind of have to make that decision. And and I've got a mixed portfolio. Again, I've got some portfolios that I, I own 100% of, and then I have one that I have my in, in investors and partners in. So I've got a little bit of both. Again, I, for some reason, I like to have this mixed portfolio, and it works out well for me. Um, so we're kind of running up on the clock here. So we're under a minute. So how can we get a hold of you? Or where can we find out some more information? Sure. Uh, so uh, website, it's becominvest.com, just my last name, invest.com. And uh, email is info at becominvest.com. Uh, pretty active on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, you'll see a lot of memes on there and uh, they like to post a lot of the, the milestones on, on the projects as well. Um, share the events that I go to and, uh, you know, any uh, anything that, that might be helpful. But it's definitely a very investor uh, investor focused. All right, Sep, we're running out of time. I'm going to have to have you back on so we can continue the discussion. But that was a lot of great information. Again, I really like having you on because you're talking about single family, affordable housing. Uh, those are all your hot buttons. And definitely there's people out there that's their hot buttons as well. So thanks for coming on the show. And uh, again, we're going to have to have you back so we can uh, have more knowledge. Okay. Thanks so much, Jeff. All right, guys, that's our interview with Sep Bacom. What would you rather have, the 100 single-family houses or the 100-unit apartment complex? Personally, I'll take both. So that's all we got this week. Please go out to our website at studentofmoney.org, hit like and subscribe, and join us next week right here at Student of Money.